I have three predictions for today. One, you're going to like what I have to say, and it's going to make a lot of sense. You are not going to like what I have to say, and you're going to wonder if I've lost my out of my gourd or deceived, or you're going to have to really think about what I'm going to say and wait till it all comes together. We'll see what happens. But let's start with the story of the radio. Anyone know who Scottish, uh, who James Clerk Maxwell is? Any engineers? I know there's one engineer. James Clerk Maxwell is the first who predicted the existence of radio waves in the 1860s predicted that such a thing existed. In 1866, an American dentist named Mollen Loomis successfully demonstrated wireless telegraphy. He was able to make something happen by connecting things to a kite. Wow, that sounds familiar. I know another guy who did that. Heinrich Rudolf Hertz. Anyone know who Heinrich Rudolf Hertz is? The last name should sound familiar to you. He has a famous unit of measurement named for him. 1886, Heinrich Rudolf Hertz in Germany demonstrated that electric current could be projected into, the, into space in the form of radio waves. Cycles per second, the Hertz. Interesting bit of trivia for you for Jeopardy. Heinrich Rudolf Hertz had a painting in Hamburg, Germany in his honor because he was a pretty good and smart dude. When the Nazis came to power, they removed it. Because Heinrich Rudolf Hertz's father, even though he had converted to Lutheranism when he was seven, there was Jewish lineage. So they took it down. They put it back up. But anyway, in case you're ever on Jeopardy. Guglielmo Marconi. You know who Marconi is, right? He is the inventor of radio. Italian actually lived in England though, but he proved the feasibility of radio communication. He sent and received the first radio signal in Italy in 1895. But don't forget the all-important automobile manufacturer, Nikola Tesla. <laughs> he doesn't really make cars, but he did, according to the Supreme Court in 1943, invent the radio because Marconi's patent was overruled by the Supreme Court and Tesla was credited with the creation of the radio. Nikola Tesla, Serbian-American. Now, what is the point? Like most significant ra uh, inventions, radio did not have just one father, but many fathers from all over the world and probably some mothers too. But from all over the world, these people came together. British mathematician James Clerk Maxwell, German physicist Hertz, Italian Marconi. We had an Indian physicist, Jagdish Chandra Bose. We had a Russian, Alexander Popov. None of this would have happened unless Edward Branley invented the coherer, the first detector of radio waves. From everywhere, a tangible, functional, world-changing reality came out of someone's estimation and idea that something invisible is, uh, existed. Now, I want you to hold that thought as you continue to stay awake in the heat. Remember it, though, the story of the radio. I'm coming back to that. This is relevant to our conversation. How? 
And what is our conversation? Our conversation is heaven, our home. That's the question we've asked and some others. It's relevant in terms of the hereafter, eternal life, damnation, the resurrection, and very closely connected. And today, throughout this message today and next week, to the soul, the immortal, undying soul, which we accept as an absolute in life and in death, for that matter, more importantly. But the beginning of our discussion last week started off with some confusion, centered on some confusion, actually. According to what the Bible says, the Old Testament, and I use that word just because it's, it's easy to use, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, has some strange things to say about death and very scant detail about an eternal future. And actually what we did read and will read right now is a little bit contradictory, if we're honest, with what we believe today. Ecclesiastes 3, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all his vanity. That's Ecclesiastes. He was a smart dude. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. I saw there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Ecclesiastes 9.2, the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. This is the Holy Bible. Psalms 115, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Psalm 88, for my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like the one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Psalms 88. Job, of course. Well, no. How about verse 10? Do you work wonders for the dead? The psalmist asks. Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon, another name for Sheol, for hell, for Gehenna? Is it? It's a question. Job, not the most uplifting of books to begin with. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And it goes on. And there are others. Hmm. Encouraging, right? Encouraging for the hope of the eternal bliss that we're all looking forward to. But we learn about the, the immortal soul from the Bible. Well, we don't learn that much about the immortal soul from the Bible. We do learn more, particularly in the apostolic scriptures, about the, the, the resurrection of the dead. And the rabbis have done a masterful job of pointing all of the places in the Torah where God speaks of the resurrection of the dead. But the soul, that's something a little bit different. Just like heaven and hell, we don't get a lot of information. So I'll ask you this question, how did we get here? How did we get to our understanding today of the soul and the spirit? I'm going to tell you today. 
And you can go to Genesis 2 and you can say, well, there's the answer right there, Damien. God breathed into the man the breath of life and he became a nefesh chaya in Hebrew, a living soul. Well, there it is. There it is. You don't even have to get at past chapter 2 in the Bible. And you've got your confirmation, a nefesh chaya, a living soul. The problem is, if you read on in the same chapter, Genesis 2.19, that was verse 7. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, nefesh chaya, the same word for the beasts and the birds, nefesh chaya. Translated as the living soul in Genesis 2.7, translated as living creatures in Genesis 2.19. That's not the confirmation we're looking for. And we have much more to say, but for now, we're seeking this answer. How did we get to the understanding of souls, particularly the immortal soul, that all of our hope and future is resting on the fact that God's going to do something with it? Because before we can really explore where we go when we die, we need to know that there's something of us that is going to go somewhere. That something of us beyond this is going to live and endure. Because Job and the Psalms and Ecclesiastes sort of tell a confusing, if not contradictory, story. The scholarly answer. I like scholars. I like atheists. I like critics. I like professors who teach theology and have no hope or faith or belief in God. Because what was the guy who wrote the out of Art of War, Sim Sum or something? No, that's a, that's a Kabbalistic concept. Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, yeah. Not Sim Sum. Sun Tzu. Know your enemies. These aren't my enemies, but they're presenting cases. They're trying to tear down things, so you should know what they say. The scholarly answer. You ready? Let's go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. First of all, who knows? Who knows in the room who is credited by many historical scholars, theologians even, with the idea of the immortal human soul? The Encyclopedia Britannica and many, many scholars. Human beings seem always to have had some notion of a shadowy double that survives the death of the body. True. It's an age-old question. But the idea of the soul as a mental entity with intellectual and moral qualities interacting with a physical organism but capable of continuing after its dissolution derives in Western thought from Plato. Plato. and entered into Judaism during approximately the last century before the common era and thence, thence into Christianity. That's not exactly correct, but who knew modeling clay could be so influential? Plato! Plato! 
He's widely considered as one of the most important and influential individuals in human history. Student of Socrates, teacher of Aristotle. He lived and taught about 400 years before the birth of Yeshua. Widely credited, widely credited with the origination of the idea of the immortal soul separate from the body, in other words, capable of surviving death. He has been called the prophet of the doctrine of immortality. As I said in the beginning of this series... There could be some uncomfortable moments for us in the weeks ahead, and this might be the first one. Because there is truth to that statement. That we see an evolution of thought in Jewish thought after the writings of Plato. Now there are suggestions and confirmations that Plato was influenced by Judaism and that somehow that's where it came from. Plato, Greek culture was influenced by Judaism. What are the first two letters in the Hebrew alphabet? Aleph and Bet. Do you see the, the Hebrew-Greek connection? That one's not too hard to put together. Alphabet, Aleph, Bet. We see architectural similarities. We see conversations reported by Greek um, philosophers about having conversations with Jews and how they knew all these other kinds of things. So, yeah, there's absolutely no question that there was some, some interaction. But we don't find these types of conversations until later in the second temple period of Judaism. In this area, then, the immortal soul, it is absolutely a possibility, and I might even so boldly suggest a probability, that Judaism was influenced. We can find with near certainty parallel developments of the idea. But again, loosely we see things vaguely attested to in the Tanakh in various places. But there are a number of places where we see the exact opposite of that, right? I just read, them, I read some of them to you. But at least by the 3rd century BCE, before the Common Era, or BC, we begin to see a much clearer picture in Jewish literature. Enoch. Jubilees, Ben Sirah, some of the apocryphal literature of the soul, of eternal destiny, of hell, of punishment, of all kinds of things. That's happening after we see a lot of Socrates or Plato's writings talking about this. And what we find then in the patristic literatures, in the, in the church fathers, there's, this, there's two things that happen. There's either a war waged against the idea that philosophy had any impact, or there's an embracing of it. Tertullian, a very famous church father, hated the idea that there may have been any Greek influence in anything. And he said... Uh, I mean, not he didn't say, but then we also find, who knows who Augustine is? One of, if not the most influential authors in Christian thought, who absolutely embraced Aristotle and different things like that. But, but I mean, he says, I found that whatever truth I had read in the Plato, in the Platonists, 
was in the writings of Paul combined with the exaltation of thy grace. Justin Martyr thought that the Greeks were the proto-Christians, which was later proved wrong, of course. Eusebius, Plato is the only Greek who has attained the porch of Christian truth. Rabbi, I can't believe this. A pagan philosopher? Plato, Rabbi? Seriously, I thought you were a Bible scholar. To which I would respond to you. Chill out. <laughs> Second, I would say, how big is our God? And third, I would say, do you believe him when he says, my ways are not yours? The purpose of this message is to help you in two ways. One, to understand the theological development of what we hold to be an absolute truth, which is that there's a soul, that there's something happening. No, I, it's not an absolute truth. There are, there are denominations of the Christian faith that don't believe that. Certainly. But for the average, like, American Christian and to a large degree Jews, we find this to be a, a, a tenet of faith. And second, though, and this is just the way I think, it's what I told you in the beginning. The second reason I want you to know this is so that you can hold your own against the, the critics and with, with God's help to maybe influence their way of thinking. Or maybe if you think totally differently than what I'm saying today, maybe I'll influence you. But this is history. It's history, but it's supernatural as well. I will suggest to you that this idea that Plato influenced Judaism, therefore Christianity, and what the world holds to be truth today, presents absolutely no difficulty whatsoever for us. None. And we don't have to get all balled up and concerned about, Oh my gosh, the pa pagan philosophy, no! It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. There is an influence of Greek philosophy in our Jewish biblical understanding. Then I'm going to show you something amazing and how it all works together for God to confirm himself. But let's go back to the radio. Remember it? Not one father. Like most significant inventions, radio had many fathers. Who invented the radio? Marconi? Tesla? Well, everybody did. It was what is termed in theology a progressive revelation. You've heard that word, right? The progressive revelation of knowledge. Beginning with James Maxwell, when he predicted the reality of something called a radio wave, something that was invisible and not able to be seen over the course of time, brilliant minds took the basic observation that he had and brought it ever closer. How did they do it? Scientific knowledge? Yes. Human curiosity? Yes. Divine inspiration? Yes. All of the above, I would argue. You see, God, I don't know if you know this, God is over all things. God is in charge of everything, all things. Nothing escapes his purview. 
And when God desires a thing to be done or knowledge to be gained, he endows man with wisdom and understanding to achieve it or to understand it. It is for his glory, but quite often we are the benefactors of that. He gives wisdom and insight. It's the prayer of Judaism three times a day during the week. Give us wisdom, discernment, and insight. And God does that for man. And it is done sometimes, always actually, in a precise and perfect time and plan. And for some reason, at that time in history, God saw fit to endow men with knowledge to ponder invisible waves floating through the air and turn them into something that would change the world, actually, the radio. And they all built on one another. Now, here's something I really love as a beautiful aside. Speaking of communication, more, more Jeopardy trivia, because, you know, that's why you come to Shabbat services, in case you ever end up on Jeopardy. Do you know the first word, speaking of, of uh, 19th century communication devices, do you know the first words that were telegraphed? By Samuel Morse. What did Samuel Morse invent? A, a code. A Bible code. No, the Morse code. The first words that Samuel Morse sent on May 24th, 1844 said, What hath God wrought? You know where that's from? Numbers 22:23. You know who said it? Balaam. Balaam said that. Bilam. Who was Bilam? Well, he, first of all, what he said is, There's no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, What hath God wrought? Now this may seem a very random interjection, but here's the, here's the connection. Those words are from Balaam. Forget the telegraph, forget the history, forget Jeopardy. We're back to this. Those words are from Balaam. Who is Balaam? He is a false prophet who wanted to take money to curse Israel. And instead, what happened? God used the words from this despicable human being, and now his words are every day in the synagogue liturgy. When we enter the synagogue, we say, Matovu, Ohalecha Yaakov, Mishkenotecha Yisrael. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Who said that? Balaam. Now, keep thinking about Balaam. How did Balaam learn about the angel of the Lord and what he was and was not going to do and what his path looked like? Where did he hear that from? An ass. A jackass, a donkey spoke to Balaam about what he was going to do. Point. Please, give me a point. You just said a dirty word in your message, Rabbi. I know I didn't. It's in the Bible. God can speak through anyone. God gets to decide who communicates what. And he can speak through anyone. A jackass, a false prophet, or a pagan philosopher. 
So I would suggest that Plato could be compared to James Maxwell, who first entertained the idea of an invisible wave that could carry sound across the world. God revealed a seed of truth, and there is this invisible thing, because God does move in mysterious ways. There's a website called My Jewish Learning that's it's good. It has a lot of summary information, but it says this about the, about the immortal soul. The belief may have been influenced by Greece and other surrounding cultures that espouse such a dualism, or it may have arisen independently as a product of shared human experience. It's both of those things. We all know, where do we go when we die? It's like the top of the list. So everyone was thinking about it and is thinking about it. But God used a guy named after modeling clay, <laughs> potentially. And the leaders of Judaism and the writers of the texts, they were the Marconis and the Teslas of the equation. The progressive revelation. You know who Clement of Alexandria is? Possibly one of the author, possibly the author of the book of Hebrews. We've talked about him. He's, a, he's an early church father, Clement. Listen to what he says. And this is it. This is, this is it. This is the conclusion of this point for today. Clement says, Before the advent of the Lord, philosophy was necessary to the Greeks for righteousness. Now it becomes conducive to piety. Being a kind of preparatory training to those who attain to faith, for God is the cause of all good things, but of some primarily, like the Old and New Testaments, and of others by consequence, like philosophy. You understand what he's saying? He does some things directly, like gives the Bible. And he does some things indirectly in ways that we might not ever want to or be able to understand. And that is that a pagan guy could have received revelation that actually transformed the world when it made it into the hands into which God would have it be developed. Which was... Ready? The Pharisees. It really was. And I'm going to tell you about that. Not today. For philosophy, Clement continues, was a schoolmaster to bring the Hellenic mind, Hellenic mind to Christ. Philosophy, therefore, was a preparation, paving the way for him who is perfected in Christ. Church Father Clement. He gets it. Do we get it? Do we have to be nervous and scared? Do we have to pull out the old Sola Scriptura, Martin Luther? If it's not in the Bible, it couldn't have happened. And it is in the Bible. All of this is in the Bible. Well, it's elsewhere, actually. And it's elsewhere that it's more influential. For what developed, what is today... What Jesus taught and what the disciples believed about the soul and what was to come next. 
Its nascent form was there. We okay with that? <laughs> Here's what James Clear says if you're not. Most people don't want accurate information. They want validating information. Growth requires you to be open to unlearning ideas that previously served you. Man, that first line is tremendous. You should write that down, if nothing else. Most people don't want accurate information. They want validating information. And there is nowhere on earth that that is more true than in a religious sanctuary. And if I say something that doesn't validate, most people are like, ah, don't like it, deceived, satanic, liar. <laughs> But growth requires you to be open to unlearning ideas that previously served you. Now, we can't just, Plato continued to be very influential in Christianity for a long, long time, right, Dana? Long, long time. Lot, lots, lots of influence. And then into the Gnostics and all this other kind of stuff, which, which I won't bore you to tears with that next week, but I am going to talk about it. But here's the conclusion. We cannot move from Plato... To the resurrection of the dead and heaven and hell. In other words, we can't move from Plato to Christian thought and all of a sudden figure it out. The huge answer lies in the middle, as I said, in the ones who received the inspiration and then created by divine intention, resurrection, and the immortal soul. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. The seed that was potentially planted by Greek philosophy was fertilized, watered, and nurtured in the garden of Jewish thought. Pharisaic Jewish thought. And I want to show you what Judaism did with that seed and how that informs so much, if not everything, of what we think today. And more importantly, most importantly, how God confirmed it at just the right time. Shabbat Shalom.